Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. All right, good morning, everybody. I, um, I think I heard Bruce say that we have a new series starting next week and that we're going to have donuts. Was that right? Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> we're going to have that series start in two weeks. Next week, we're going to finish out this series that we're in. We're in a series this morning called, What Are You Looking At? And um, <clears throat> we've actually got one more week next week. Uh, he's excited about this new series called Waiting. I am too, so I can see why he's moving it up in the schedule. But um, that's going to be in two weeks. So don't come next week thinking that you're going to have donuts. Just come, but don't think you're going to have donuts. It'll be the week after that. And then we'll, uh, we'll get on with it. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. This series that we're doing right now is actually, it's based on a, a conference uh, talk that a fellow by the name of J.D. Greer did. And we came across that as a staff some time ago and saw this and thought, well, we can develop that into a series, actually. It's more than just a, a conference talk. We could, we could expand that. And so that's how this came about. And the point of the series is for us to take a, a moment, take a step back, and examine what we are looking at in our lives, what we're focused on in our lives. And that's the first step. The second step, then, is that as we decide what we're focused on and what we're kind of really making priorities in our world, then we can evaluate that against what God tells us is a priority for us. So we can actually have the means, then, to make that assessment. So that's what we're trying to accomplish here through this series. We want to find out whether we're focused on what God says the long view, what he deems is appropriate for us in light of eternity, or whether we're focused on the short view, which is our perspective from an earthly standpoint. So that's what we're all about. In week one, we started off by looking at the bucket list, our bucket lists. Are we looking at our bucket list or those things that we think are going to bring us pleasure in life, or are we truly focused on what God says is good? And so that's the, the question that we dealt with in the first week. Second week, Bruce, that was last week, Bruce came along and he asked the question about whether, we're not, whether or not we're focused on God's call or whether we're focused on our own plans. So whether we're listening to God and what he's calling us to in life or whether we're developing our own plans and pursuing our own plans going forward. And this week, we're asking about whether we're focused on our comfort or rather that as we focus on our comfort, are we missing out what God is trying to do through us and in us by our suffering? Now I can see already that you guys are excited about the topic this morning. Yeah, everybody's sitting there going, man, I'm sure glad I came. No donuts, and we're going to talk about suffering. But before you all decide to beat a hasty retreat, let me just pray 
and ask God to help us hang in there and, and see what he has for us this morning. So if you would bow with me. Father, today, Lord, as we come to a topic that is not fun, Lord, I pray that you would help us today to lean into you, that you would help us to lean into this idea of suffering and perhaps see it from a different perspective, see it in a new way, that we would understand it better and then be able to participate in it better such that you would be able to work in us and through us to accomplish good things for us and for those around us. So as we consider this, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds, that you would overcome our natural tendencies to try and avoid this, to try and escape it, so that we would be able to benefit. And so to that end, I ask for your blessing this morning, Lord, and I pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So recently, I was talking to someone, and they were asking me about my tendency to get emotional when I speak. It comes up. And it's true. I do get emotional when I speak. And honestly, I've asked God to help me get past that. And to this point, he has not seen fit to grant that request. I've asked him more than three times, thinking that Paul was maybe just a little bit short-sighted in asking three times for his thorn to be removed, but it, it hasn't changed. And anyhow, as we were having this conversation, really what they wanted to know was what was prompting it? What prompts it? What, what's going on in my head? And as I've thought about that, and trust me, I have thought about that. I've lost sleep over it. As best I can tell, this happens. I get emotional because, first of all, as I get older and as I study my Bible more, I am convinced that the God of the Bible exists, that he is there and that he is real and that he is active. So I've got that as a a premise or a foundation. But beyond that, the more I consider him, the more I can consider his significance, the more that I consider his scope, the more that I can consider his character, the more I am convinced that he is serious about what he is about. That he's like drop dead serious about what he is about. That he has plans. He has a plan and he has plans. He has a plan for us all. He has a plan for each one of us. He has priorities, and he has standards. And I keep coming up against that as I read and as I study, and I see those things, and I see his intention, that that he is focused on what he is going about, that this is not just a game to him, that this is not just haphazard but that he is working intently on accomplishing all of these things, on accomplishing his plan, on accomplishing his strategies, on accomplishing his standards. And frankly, as I consider those things, it freaks me out that there is this God out there that is this big, that has these standards, these priorities, and he is going about them. He is accomplishing them. And 
as I consider that, and I recognize that not only is he there, and I believe that he is, and not only is he setting out to accomplish these things, and I believe he is, but that he has also made us a priority in these things, that we are a primary of primary concern to him in this whole deal. And so as a result of that, then I understand that what we're doing this morning has consequence. That it is serious as well. That this isn't just a game either. That I can't pretend and we can't just go through motions with this stuff. And as I recognize that, and as I feel that weight, for me, and for you, for those of us listening online, that has a heaviness to it. Like that just has a weight. And I recognize at least a little bit of the significance of what we're doing here this morning. And that's not to say that God is punitive or callous, but rather that I understand him to be good, and in fact, so good that he is not willing to settle for anything less than his priorities, his standards, his plan, for his benefit and for ours, for his sake and for yours and mine. And nowhere maybe is this maybe more in view than this morning as we come to this topic of suffering. Because I find that me, in my brokenness, in my humanness, in my carnal state, I struggle to understand God's goodness sometimes because it doesn't line up with what I perceive to be good. And so that becomes a challenge, trying to recognize God's good versus what I think and the tension they're in because they're not the same. And this, it's just the case in point as we come to suffering, this topic of suffering. You and I naturally want to avoid suffering, don't we? It's who we are. That's, we, we look at it and we don't want to suffer. And I think even when it comes to the context of our faith, we've adopted a theology, we've adopted or created a, a framework of, of thinking that says that when things are going well, then God is blessing me. But when things aren't going well then he's not blessing me. And in fact, we find that that's wrong, according to God. We don't consider that blessing is a good thing, but God does. Sorry, we don't consider that suffering is a good thing, a blessing, but God does. This side of heaven, suffering is a blessing. It's exactly what it is. And we find that laid out for us plainly in Philippians 1, verse 29. Paul says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So we come to this verse, and Paul says straight up that it has been granted to us to suffer. Now, we need to understand that a little bit deeper. 
So here, as we see this phrase, has been granted, that comes from the word that also is translated as grace. So it's possible, it would be acceptable to understand this verse as translated this way. For it is by God's grace that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. It's by God's grace that we're to suffer for his sake. Now this morning, I'd encourage you, that is something that I think that we need to chew on for a while. That God in his grace has deemed it appropriate that we should suffer. Now, we look at this verse, right? And in the context of this verse, while we say, well, you say, Doug, that, but that's suffer for the sake of, of Christ. Which is to say, suffer for our identity with him. Those of us that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, that we should then suffer on account of that. And we say, okay, I get that. I'll have to suffer. Or that we should suffer as we adopt his priorities and his standards. And when that costs us in this life, that we should suffer for that. Well, okay, I, I guess I can agree to that. And so we'll even come to this verse, and even as we're coming to try and get grip, to grips with it, I think that we do so, we rationalize it in some ways. We, we categorize it in saying, well, if it's suffering in that respect, well, then I'll accept that as by the grace of God. But the thing is, it's not just in this respect. We see this in other places. James lays it out for us in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here, by the grace of God, as we suffer in various respects, James points out that he's using it to bring about good things in us. So it's not just as we suffer for the sake of Christ. Not just as we suffer in identifying with him or in adopting his priorities for us, his standards for us, etc. But that as we suffer in all kinds of different respects, that that is by God's grace. And the point that James is making here is that we should rejoice understanding that God, being God, will take our suffering and compel that to serve our good. Now hear me carefully there again. That we rejoice, not just because we're suffering, but we rejoice because God being God is able to take our suffering and compel it to serve us for our good. Or for the good of those around us. So this morning... As it comes to this topic of suffering, the short view then is when we focus all our efforts 
in avoiding suffering and or regaining our comfort. The short view would say that we do everything that we can to avoid suffering. Or that as we begin to suffer, that we do whatever we can to end it, to solve it, to resolve it, to get out of it. The long view, today, don't mishear me, the long view is not that we go out and look for suffering, not that we go out and try and find suffering and put ourselves in the way of suffering, but rather that when suffering comes to us, that we look to what God is doing in us and through us by virtue of the suffering. That's the long view. That as we start to suffer from whatever various trial that it might be, that we would look at that and we would go to God and we would say, okay, Lord, what are you teaching in, in me? What are you teaching me? What are you trying to accomplish in me? Or secondarily, then what are you accomplishing for someone else around me? Paul picks up on this same point. Actually, Peter picks up on it as well. We don't have time to go there this morning. But Paul picks up on it as well in Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. There Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, as, as we come to the point where we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we have been justified with him. So we've been justified, and we're now in this place of grace, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the heart, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this morning, as we're justified by our faith through Christ, with Him, and as that puts us in good standing with God, in the grace now that we enjoy with God, then we boast in that. We glory in that. But not just that. But we also boast and glory in our suffering. Because that suffering is bringing about good things in you and I. That God is using it for our good. We're good boasting about God, justifying us through our faith, bringing us back into relationship with him. But we struggle when it comes about boasting and glorying in the suffering that he gives us so that he can grow us into the people that he wants us to be. As we learn to suffer well, which we see here, then we understand what God is accomplishing for us and through us in that suffering. First of all, suffering produces perseverance. 
Perseverance here is to be understood as the ability to stand, withstand all the challenges, the struggles that we are facing, the trials that we are in, with fortitude and patience. Perseverance brings about then character. Perseverance promotes character. And here, the idea of character is the outcome of testing. So after something has been tested and found to be approved. So that's what character means, that as we are tested and we withstand, we can stand with patience and fortitude, then it brings about that approval, that character that is approved. And then character spawns hope in God. So there's a progression. And there's real tangible benefits. Now, I know we talk about these verses, right? We've heard these verses. They're not new to us this morning, probably at least most of us. For some of you, this might be completely new. Hang in there. Hang in. But I don't know that it necessarily is actually bringing about the progression that God intends for it for most of us. In fact, I would submit this morning that rather than bringing about perseverance and character and hope, that rather it's actually resulting in stoicism. That it ends up producing in us stoicism as we come to these verses and try and accomplish them as we see fit, as we try and rationalize them into our framework, our, our perspective. We come to these verses, oh yeah, suffering is good. And, and we handle it stoically. We try and view it philosophically. All right. Hmm. There you go. So we try and philosophically, philosophically deal with that, understand it, navigate it. Which means that we more or less attempt to control our emotions. That as it comes to this suffering, well, then I'm just going to suck it up. Be a good cowboy. I'm not going to let my emotions out of the bag. I'm not going to let anyone see that I'm sweating or hurting. And we do our best to just then hunker down and weather the storm. Can't complain because that wouldn't be godly. And that's the extent of it. And meanwhile, while trying to present that nice, neat, outward perspective, you know, we're paddling underneath, trying to just get out of it, trying to avoid it, trying to get out of it, trying to avoid it. Just get through to the other side. But this morning, I want to submit to you that, again, God is not whistling Dixie here for us today. That as he comes to us and he says, hey, listen, Boast in what I'm doing in your suffering because I am up to good in your life. He's not just playing games, which is to say that he's going to allow suffering for us, but he's going to be in it for our benefit. And we need to then lean into that as well. That we need to take that seriously and we need to step up and meet God in it the way he's asking us to.
There's a benefit for us if we lean in. And this morning, rather than just continue to talk about this theoretically, what I thought I would do is that we would take the example of Joseph. Because he puts skin on this concept for us. He puts it out for us in 3D living color as he navigated suffering in his life. And he becomes, I think, a prime example of how we can approach it as well. Now, the story of Joseph is found back in the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. Starts in chapter 37, sort of skips 38, and then carries on 39 through to chapter 50. So, as an exercise in suffering, we're going to read that all this morning. No, we're not. But I encourage you, go home and check that out. Read the story again and read it from the perspective of Joseph's suffering today. We see that Joseph comes along and he was his father's favorite. He was the number one son. And the stars, you know, set and rose on him. Sunset and rose on him. And that resulted in the fact that his brothers hated him. They had it in for him. So much so that they were actually going to kill him. Save for one of the brothers who sort of stepped in and said, Let, surely, don't, let's, let's not do that. That's going to be all kinds of problems for us. So they decided instead what they would do is they would sell him into slavery. So they did. They sold him to some guys, some traders going by. They took him down into Egypt. And there Joseph was purchased by a guy by the name of Potiphar, who brought him into his house as a slave, as a servant. And Joseph began to to serve Potiphar there. He was, his, became sort of his head guy. And that was all good, except for the fact that Potiphar's wife kind of took a shine to Joseph and thought that it would be a good deal if they were to sleep together. And so Joseph, in avoiding that, then got her upset with him, who in turn got Potiphar upset with him, and then he was thrown in jail. So he's gone from being sold into slavery to now being in jail. And as he's in jail, then again, he kind of ingratiates himself with the warden. The warden starts to put him in charge of some things. And and we find that along the way, then two of Pharaoh's servants were thrown in jail as well. And they had dreams. And Joseph then interprets these dreams for these two guys. And it turns out that he proved to be correct in his interpretation. And so that led eventually to him getting to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. The Pharaoh had a dream that they couldn't interpret. And so this one servant remembers, oh yeah, hey, in prison, there was this dude that did, interpreted my dream and turned out to be true. So they send for Joseph in prison and, and he comes and interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him. And from that then, Pharaoh makes him second in command of the whole country over Egypt. So he rises up the ranks really quickly from prison all of a sudden to in charge of the country. And from there, as it plays out, he ends up saving the life of his brothers and his family and and then plus a whole bunch more. So as we look 
at this story, I want to just go back and see a couple of things, just so that you know that I'm not trying to make this up. We're going to see Joseph's perseverance. Then we're going to see the development of his character. And finally, we're going to recognize that his hope grew. Counter to what God, or what, we, what you would think. You know, suffering should eliminate hope. Suffering should erode hope. But in his own way, God brings about hope through our suffering, which is, which is just crazy. But here it is for us as a living example. So number one, we see Joseph's perseverance. Per, number one, you see it through, through the whole story. He's sold into slavery, ends up in prison, yada da yada da. But in chapter 40, Genesis chapter 40, verses 14 and 15, it says this. And this is Joseph talking to the cupbearer, who's just interpreted a dream for him, and, and the, the, the dream in, entailed that he would be reinstated back into the service of the king, of the pharaoh. So Joseph says to this guy, he says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So Joseph interprets this dream. This guy's going back to serve Pharaoh, and he says, hey, put in a good word for me. But then in chapter 41, verse 1a, it says this, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. So even here, in the midst of all of this other stuff that Joseph had to persevere through, he had to persevere for another two years as he waited for this guy to remember him. It says that he actually forgot about him until two years later when Pharaoh had a dream. So Joseph persevered. He persevered. He didn't give up. He kept leaning into God through this whole process. That resulted in his character being built. First of all, as we see the story unfold, we see that Joseph learns to serve through this whole process. He ran serving Potiphar. Then he served the warden. And finally he served Pharaoh. That takes place over the whole story. But we also see his character develop in other ways as well. We see that he resisted temptation, the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Genesis 39, verses 6c to 10. It says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So in the midst of all of this suffering, in the midst of the challenges and 
that he was facing, Joseph was also honing his character. He wasn't, wasn't taking any fringe benefits. He was doing what was right. That even in the testing, he was being approved. His character was growing. He learned humility. At the beginning of the story, we see that Joseph came along and he was telling his brothers and his family about his dreams. And his dreams were of everyone bowing down to him. And he's just like a young kid. He's in his late teens here at this point. And he's talking to his brothers. And I don't know, I, I don't know what Joseph's motivation was in all of that stuff. But you've got to wonder if he was anything like us at 17, guys. You know? Pretty full of himself, I would think. You know, world is my oyster. I'm all that in a bag of chips. And he has a dream that everybody's going to bow down to him. And he's telling his brothers. His brothers hate him. Yeah, I don't think that that was a secret. And he's saying, ah, yeah, you know what? You're going to bow down to me. Probably just maybe, maybe just a little bit of arrogance there, a little cocky. But in short order, he goes from that to recognizing that he's not the top dog on the block by any means. We see that play out in a few different places. Genesis 41, verse 16. As Joseph comes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, Hey, I hear you can interpret my dream. Joseph responds by saying, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So again, he gets called to the palace. Gets called to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I hear you're the dude. <laughs> Joseph says, whoa, wait a second. No, it's not me. This is his ticket out of prison. At that point, maybe I'm going to be going, yeah, I'm, I'm all that. I'm your man. And Joseph's saying, no, 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 no. It's not me, but God can answer you. Humble. Genesis 50, verse 19. This is after Joseph's father has died, and now his brothers are worried again that Joseph is going to take out some retribution for what they've done to him previously. And Joseph comes to them. Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You recognize that you don't have to be afraid of me. It's not me that's God. I'm not God in this. I'm not the one that's going to seek justice or revenge or any of those things. You don't have to worry about me. Don't be afraid. I'm just Joseph. And then in verse 20, chapter 50, verse 20, he goes on to say, what you intended to harm me, sorry, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So even as he's dealing with his brothers who have sold him down the river, caused him all kinds of grief and headache and suffering, he recognized that again, this wasn't all about me wasn't about me. This has happened so that 
I can be in a place where I can help others, where I can save others. It's not about me. It's about what God wants to do through me now. Lastly, we see that Paul was right. That the perseverance developed character and the character resulted in hope, spawned hope in in Joseph. Chapter 50 again, verses 22 to 25 say this. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his family's father, his father's family. Boy, I am having trouble today. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, who who were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Church family, what are you looking at today? Are we so busy being focused on our comfort that we're missing the long view as God calls us to suffer and grow through it in ourselves, for ourselves, and for the sake of others around us? Are we so busy trying to avoid suffering? Are we so busy trying to get out of it in any way, shape, or form? Are we so busy being stoic and just bearing through it, gritting our teeth and, 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 and what's the word? Gritting our teeth and just bearing it. That we miss out God working in us and through us in our suffering in ways that we would grow and become more and more his people. I'm convinced that when God says that it is now his number one priority as we place our faith in him that he is going to turn us into the the image of Jesus Christ, into the image of his son, that he's going to develop in us that character, that that's his priority, that's his focus. And he's going to use suffering as a part of that process for you and I today. Let's not miss it. Now, that's not this morning to say that suffering is fun. I am not pretending that for a moment. That it's going to be a bunch of kicks and giggles. It's going to be hard. And not that it's going to come naturally. I recognize it's going to be something that we have to focus on accomplishing. It's going to be a challenge. But for the sake of what God is up to, then I think we need to step up to that challenge and lean in and watch him work 
in our lives. This morning, maybe you are here and God has granted for you to be suffering right now. Maybe you're going through some trials, some challenges in your life. Maybe today you need to engage with him in a new way in those. Maybe you need to ask him to come alongside you and show you what he's up to, help you to see what he's trying to accomplish so that you could join him in that, that you could lean into him in that process. Or maybe this morning you need to just come and ask him for a touch, to let you know that he's with you in that. Through the story of Joseph, over and over we see God say, or see it say that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph in these circumstances. God was with Joseph as he suffered in these various different ways. Maybe this morning you just need to know that God is with you in that. Now I'm going to just, this is something that I don't normally do. This is not something that I think of. And I apologize for that because I probably should do it more. But maybe this morning you just need to come forward and you need to spend a little bit of time with God. That as you come, that you're just coming and you're saying, God, help me in the circumstance that I'm in. Help me to understand you better. Help me to know what you're up to more. Help me to lend myself to this process so that I can become more like Christ today. Or maybe you just need that touch. Or you come forward and say, God, Show me that you're with me in this. I'm going to invite you to come. The band's going to sing a song, play one last song. As they play out, I just invite you to come. You can come forward. We're going to try to do this COVID-friendly. So there's room up here. There's, we can spread out. And if this morning as someone comes and you're in a place where you're doing okay, but you could pray for them, I would just invite you to come and stand behind them and pray for them. That this would be a way, even this morning, that we can bear one another's burdens. That we can be real in that as a church. That we could just come silently pray behind them. Support them as they navigate whatever trial that they're in. So the band's going to play. And if that would be of benefit to you, then I'd invite you to take advantage of that this morning. After we're done, and I'll come and close in prayer.
more time, we ask that you would come. Come alongside us, Father. Help us to see a different way of approaching our suffering. Help us to engage with you in it. And that as we do, that you would turn us into the image of your Son, that we would become more and more like Christ. That that goal, that priority would become ours, not just escaping it, not just finding a way back to some level of comfort, but yet a relationship farther removed from you. For those that have come forward this morning, Lord, whatever their trials might be, I pray that you would come alongside them and that they would know today beyond a shadow of a doubt, like Joseph, that you are with them and that you will help them to persevere, that we have hope for the future because of what you've done for us through Jesus. That that would comfort them day in and day out as they persevere. I pray now that as we go forward, that again, that you would take us, that you would help us, that you would work in us and through us for Christ's sake. And I pray these things now in his name. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Look forward to seeing you next week as we talk about legacy. Legacy.